hey, John, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, um, I'm a poet. Did you know that? Mm. I write some poetry. And the reason why I loved talking <laughs> to Bruce Mata as much as I did is because he used an expression that struck me as very poetic when he described the experience of riding a motorcycle like as dancing with the machine. Yeah, that was actually really cool. Very poetic. Do you he dan- is very poetic. Do you dance with your machine when you ride it? I think I do. Like you do like a polka with it. Okay? You know what I didn't like is that you brought up the whole Brazil thing with him. I think he wanted to keep that quiet. He's an outlaw. We, we need to expose him for what he is. <laughs> Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. With us today is Bruce Mata. Bruce is the regional manager for Harley Owners Group. Bruce, welcome. How are you? Welcome, Bruce. Oh, I'm terrific, guys. How are you? John, Mark, it's good to hear from you guys. We are we are great. We are excited to have you. You're a, a really interesting guy. You've been inspiring to many, and uh, we'd like to just get right into it. Um, right off the line, we know um, Mark uh, found out in some uh, back backdoor method that you are a fan of kale is that true um well you know i'm sorry mark but not exactly i'll, I'll give you a little bit of background on that and why and I, I don't. next question please john <laughs> no let's let 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 our guest tell us all about kale i know it's your favorite topic mark well but if he's not a fan i don't want to go down this road well let's i just want to see what he what he has to say about all kale. Right. okay go ahead bruce oh, okay well, it might, might not be apples to apples here, Mark, and I apologize again. Uh, I understand that on my father's side, my grandparents were immigrants from Portugal. Ah. So I got to sample some interesting cuisine as I was growing up and visiting them as a child over the years. And one of the things that my grandmother made was kale soup. Caldo Verde. And, oh, yeah. And about the only thing <laughs> I could equate that to is kind of like warm seaweed and when I say that, I don't mean to insult seaweed, because when I was working in Korea, I actually had dried, crisp seaweed, and it was terrific. This was not even the same thing. So maybe I haven't given kale a fair, a fair shot, but it's uh, not high on my list of things I want to go after. Well, Bruce, I'd like to invite you uh, sometime to sit around the table. We'll even invite John, uh, and I will prepare a few different of my favorite kale preparations for you guys to, to sample and enjoy. And I think I might be able to change your mind on kale. Uh, that could possibly happen. You know, Bruce, um, I don't want to waste a lot of time here, but it's it's always entertaining. Uh, so I'm the I'm the uh, sound engineer here, and uh, we test all the equipment before we call our guests. And uh, every time that Mark talks about kale, the friggin' system peaks out. It is it, yeah. it is odd that 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 happens. But anyway, Bruce. Let's talk about hog because Bruce is like the hog guy. He's he the travels, travel, well, he travels all over the world. He's, he's been all over the world with Harley Owners Group Hog, the Hog Kingpin. Yeah, he's a Hog Kingpin. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And but how the hell did you even get into hog? You know what you you first learned to ride. So what was that? You know what was your first experience as a rider, Bruce? Oh, <laughs> oh boy, uh, this one's a little different. Um, Let's get in the Wayback Machine, Mr. Peabody. And uh, back when I was uh, roughly about 13 years old, uh, I was home for summer vacation from school. And um, 
it was one of my friends in the neighborhood who had an older brother who had some sort of lightweight older motorcycle. I have no idea what it was. I, to this day, I have no idea. Um, but it hadn't been ridden in a while, and it was literally stuffed into the front corner of their garage. So hanging around in summer, you get a little bit of board. The Ford was sort of saying, hey, let's go get your brother's motorcycle. We'll, uh, we'll fix it up, and we'll take it out for a ride. Now, you know, fixing it up uh, may be a little too kind, considering we're 13-year-old boys. And between the four of us, we probably had uh, two screwdrivers and a hammer. But, uh, you know, in our mind, we were ready to overhaul jet engines. So uh, fixing up a motorcycle couldn't be too difficult. So we, we pulled the thing out, uncovered it, pulled it out into the driveway and uh, kind of fooled around with it for a little bit. And uh, I think the only thing we accomplished actually was smelling like gasoline by the time we were done. But Which smells amazing. What's yeah. that? It smells amazing. Okay, it does. It does. When you get gas and oil in your veins, it's just, you know, the, the next extension. It's better than Giorgio Armani. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know about but, that. Uh, we, <laughs> well, one of us pronounced it ready to go, which meant we didn't know anything about it. So we tried kickstarting it, and, uh, of course, that didn't work. So another suggestion was, hey, let's take it out on the street, and one person will get on, the other three will push it, and we'll pop the clutch. All right, made sense to me, even though I didn't really know what a clutch was at the time. Uh, so we did that. One of the guys would get on. The three of us would, would run as fast as we could, pushing it, and they popped the clutch. And usually what happened was uh, the back tire uh, just kind of grunted, and that was the end of it. So we tried this, and you know, as each one of us got tired, we'd hop on the bike, and the other three would push. And we're getting too far with that, and it was my turn. I hopped on, and uh, the other guys pushed, and it's okay, so... I let the clutch out, and, of course, the, the back tire skidded again. But this time, uh, there was a little bit of a spurt and a grunt, and the engine roared to life. And I find myself hanging on and not even knowing what to do next. I mean, this took off. Um, and, of course, my friends are back there running behind me trying to catch up, yelling for me to stop. And I thought I, I would if I had any idea how to stop. <laughs> I mean, my only experience prior to that was my red Columbia mo uh, bicycle. Uh, and this was before the days of uh, 10 speed. So, you know, how I stopped on a bicycle was I pushed backwards on the pedal. I sure. had no idea what, what the levers on the front meant. So I, I'm going for a ride, whether I like it or not. And uh, I, I managed to negotiate a 90-degree turn in a road at one point. And as luck would have it, there was a rather steep bridge about 100 yards past that. And uh, as I was going off the bridge, I have no idea what gear I was in. I was probably in, a, in one of the middle gears, so the, it started slowing down more and more the, uh, the higher I got. And finally, when I got to the top, mercifully, it stalled. You know, and all my friends came running after me, and, and I sat there. I can, I can still remember this part. I sat there at the top of that bridge with my eyeballs like silver dollars and my heart pounding out of my chest thinking, Wow, that was great. I want a motorcycle. I want to do this again. What a, what a, it was kind of it for me. I was hooked after that. Uh, it was a few years later when I got out of high school. I had the uh, the talk. I could almost do air quotes here. Uh, the talk with my parents. And when you have the talk with your parents when you're a motorcyclist or want to be at, at that point, was, okay, well, I, I want to get a bike. And they were okay with that because they thought I was talking about, like, a Schwinn or something. And I said, no, I want to get a motorcycle. So it was a little uneasy in the house for the next few weeks, but they, they kind of relented and, and let me go and uh, picked up my first bike in uh, 1996 and just been enjoying it off and on ever since. That's a great story, Bruce. 1976. Oh, my gosh. 76, okay. 
That's a great story, Bruce. It sounds a lot like John's experience on a motorcycle every time he gets on one. He has, it's a, <laughs> Bruce and I have never ridden motorcycles together, but if, if we did, I think I think he, he'd say, geez, that guy's a good rider. I, I just I recognize some of the descriptions that he had just watching you pull out of the driveway here, uh-huh. you know, on your bike. So, yeah. so um, great story, Mark. That was yeah. awesome. Uh-huh. A, the uh, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce. So, so you got into motorcycling, and one of the things that Mark and I we actually agree on is that motorcycling is very zen-like. Tell us your thoughts on that, because I think I've seen something out there where you maybe have referenced motorcycling as Zen. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of, it was Zen before I knew what Zen was, John. Um, what I, what I knew is, I mean, I, I got this motorcycle and this was back in the days before you could really take any good training. There weren't any, uh, motorcycle training programs in the mid seventies. Uh, and of course buying a used bike there was really no way to find out how to do it. So all you could do was, was treat it as a bicycle that you didn't have to pedal and uh, hope for the best. <laughs> Most of us made it through what I used to call basic training with uh, some bumps and bruises, but we got through it all right. But the more I rode, and, and in, as days went by and months went by, the longer trips I took, the more I realized that it, it was kind of zen-like to me. It was um, it was just I, I kind of found myself in tune with it. And, and years later, I heard a wonderful mentioned us a little while ago I was talking with you and you said you enjoyed interstate riding right yeah yeah I, I did and, and um, for, for anybody that's been a hog member for a while and, and gotten the hog magazine we used to do a number of years ago in the early 2000s we had a section called divided highways and um, a longtime friend JT Hasley who I met here was a regional manager for many years as well in the west part of the US uh, we wrote opposing views, and he talked about how wonderful it was to be on the back roads. And um, I talked about how much I loved just being in a groove on a highway, which actually, um, it, it, <laughs> I, I got a couple of emails on that. And uh, somebody I knew sent me a note and wanted to know if I had been dropped on my head as a baby. <laughs> um, but it really, it, it's, it makes sense if you look at it this way. Over the years, the 40-plus years I've been riding, I've had the opportunity to take people on, a lot of people on their very first ride. And almost completely everyone would say the same thing. Like, uh, wherever you want to go, I just don't want to go on a highway. It's like, okay, 
understood, but let me explain this. The, the interstate or highway, whatever you call it, is one of the few places where everybody's going the same direction. They're going relatively the same speed. There's no stop signs. There's no stop lights. There's no parked cars. There's no dogs. There's no kids accidentally chasing a ball into the street. And that's one of the few places where, as much as I'm aware of what I'm doing, I can dial it back a little bit. And it, it does really permit me that opportunity to kind of get in the groove and, and have those end moments. And I love it. And there's nothing to me like um, getting out on a highway, especially uh, on the Harley, that big twin, when it just like stretches out for the long run and you're hauling. And it's just it's a, a wonderful thing to be in tune with that machine. Well, Bruce, I, you know, I think it's time that we come clean a little bit about you. You sound like a nice guy, but I think our listeners need to know something about you, and that is that you are a motorcycle outlaw. Um, I, I know you've been all over the world and uh, attended rallies everywhere, and apparently things got a little out of hand uh, at one point while you were in Brazil. Apparently, I don't think we're going to bring this up. Well, you know, I, I thought I, we were going to avoid uh, this. To, I thought he asked us to avoid that, I, that yeah, story. You you like to have our guests come off lily white, but I just really want our guests to understand. Don't try to tarnish Bruce Mata's No, name. I'm not trying to tarnish him, but I think we ought to know know a little bit about some of the sort of the dirt on this guy. So there is some dirt, isn't Bruce, there, Bruce? So you don't Bruce? have to answer this. Bruce? Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I hate to have somebody listen to the podcast and then say, why didn't he answer it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, as Mark was saying, I, with Hog through Harley-Davidson and my experience the last 16 years here, I, I've had some just unbelievable opportunities. And uh, for five years, from 2006 to, to 2011, I was the international Hog manager, so I covered all of Asia and all of Latin America uh, and had these opportunities to ride in different places. And I was doing a rally in Brazil, a hog rally with about a thousand people and I was leaving with the group from the uh, the dealership in uh, Sao Paulo and we're humming down the road great back roads and some great riding in Brazil and I don't off the top of my head remember how we got separated but we did and I realized like oh my gosh I gotta play a little catch-up so I'm kind of maybe just a hair above the speed limit just, along, just a hair my group because they disappeared on me and I happened to look in the mirror, and I realized, wow, they use blue lights on their police cars, too. I guess I'd better pull over. So I did. Um, and unfortunately, when I, was, when I was on the road, I would uh, use whatever motorcycle they could loan me. But the unfortunate part was this bike happened to be, I think it was a, a fat boy, and really not a lot of uh, storage on there. So all my, my luggage, including my backpack and my driver's license, my international driver's license, everything was on a chase vehicle. And I literally had no idea. This gentleman comes up, the police officer, and starts questioning me in Portuguese, which is, even though my grandparents came from Portugal, is not my strong suit. Um, I can muddle through with Spanish when I was in the rest of the Latin American countries, but Portuguese is a little tougher. And we're trying to figure out what each other's talking about. And I think he took pity on the uh, silly American biker and was about to let me go when a couple of the folks from the dealership happened to pull up behind us. And we had a, well, they had a two-way conversation. I just stood around and smiled and nodded a lot. And they decided to let me go. And they probably promised that they wouldn't let me out of their sight again. <laughs> and that was the, uh, you know, that was my penance for, for exceeding the speed limit. But uh yeah, I, I got a few of those, but I don't know if I want to share any more with marketers. Yeah, well, I wouldn't. Well, well, wait a minute. I, I, 
<clears throat> I, I heard rumors that you rode your Harley Davidson on the Great Wall of China. He didn't ride it on the Wall of China, did he? I, I don't think, think you can. We'll let him ask, answer the question. I think he did. Well, <laughs> no, no, not on the Great Wall of China, because I probably would be talking to you from a Chinese prison right now if that was possible. Oh, um, I see. No, I was. Um, I, I had a trip into uh, Beijing to work with a dealer. Uh, we were actually planning uh, the first uh, national hog rally in mainland China a number of years ago. And we grabbed a bunch of bikes and went out for a ride. And as we're riding outside of Beijing, getting into more of the countryside, um, I happened to see this beautiful uh, stone, small stone house up on the side of this hill. I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of nice. I wonder who lives there. And as we continued a little bit further down the road, I saw this wall connected to it. And, well, that's kind of interesting. And the few more kilometers down the road, I'm realizing, wow, that's a big wall. And then, of course, now the light bulb goes off. Okay, dummy, that's the great wall. Yeah, it's not just and big, it was it's just, great. It was a real shocking moment. It was a wow. It was it was very cool to see that. And uh, we happened to pull over, and some of the folks from the dealership, and I was traveling with another uh, person, uh, Harvey Davidson, we just we had to do the tourist photo. So I'm a proud owner of uh, a couple of shots of me and some of the folks from China standing in front of the Great Wall of China with our Harleys in the foreground, and it was uh, almost a surreal experience. Bruce, so how did you, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there are wondering, here's a guy, he's now regional director, he's been all over the world. How the hell did you even get this gig? Because it sounds too good to be true. Uh, well, it kind of is. And I uh, never forget that I'm probably the luckiest guy on the planet. I'm fully aware of that. Um, but it was, you know, probably some of the best things in your life happen by happenstance or accident, however you want to classify it. Uh, and for me, it was just a, a fluke opportunity. Uh, the gentleman who had the job prior to me, if you remember, Marnie Beeman, had moved over to another section of Hog, which opened up the, um, the region manager position in the Northeast. And at that time, the Northeast was defined as New York, New Jersey, New England. Uh, I, no delusions about it, I think, because I was already living in the Northeast. I was born and raised in Connecticut with a couple of years of living in New Hampshire. Um, that probably gave me a leg up on the job. But more importantly, HOG is really based on volunteerism. And uh, I bought a bike. You probably remember Don Rose Werner from the old Rotten um, Harley-Davidson many years ago. I happened to buy a, a lowrider from Don in the mid-'90s, and he told me about something called HOG. I'd never heard of it before, and... He got me involved in the local chapter, and I was just like, wow, this was the coolest thing. Because I mean, all those years prior to that, maybe if you and Mark and I knew each other, we might make a phone call on a Thursday afternoon and say, hey, what are you doing Saturday? Let's go for a ride. But I would say 90 to 95% of my riding was alone. And now I, I discovered this organization where everybody wanted to do the same thing. They're just passionate about riding and wanted to do it as a group. So it was just wonderful. So I was all in. And whenever there was an opportunity arose that I thought I could help, I volunteered. So I, I led a couple of rides at my local chapter and ended up becoming a road captain. Um, I put together some events, some fun things to do. Uh, made me an activities officer. They needed help uh, with the state rally back when we did uh, Connecticut State Rally. I was on a rally committee representing the New London chapter. And a few years later, it kind of got pushed by my friend to be the rally coordinator. And all of this apparently came to the attention of Arnie, and uh, he was—he he told me uh, he'd like to see me apply for the job. Holy smokes, I mean, you think I'd get it? So well, I said, let's see, and he just kind of smiled. But 
Um, really, when you think about it from that standpoint, um, it's kind of the ultimate temp job. He got to see me work for free to see what I was capable of, what, kind of, what my organizational skills, how could I put things together, how did I work as a, as a manager in building teams uh, for free. And then when an opportunity arose, I had the opportunity, I should say, to, to, to jump in and, and take on the job. What was interesting to me was once I came on board, there were seven regional managers that covered the U.S. at that time. Six were hired out of the field, including me that had no prior work experience with Harley-Davidson. They were all, they all came in under the same, uh, the same circumstances. They were all volunteer chapter officers or all volunteer rally coordinators. And it made perfect sense because not only were you passionate, you have to be passionate about hog to want to jump in and, and do those kind of jobs, but it also meant you understood the process. So from Hogg's standpoint, these folks already were up and running before they came into the, the uh, position. And from the member standpoint, it meant all of us had already lived through that. I'd already been a volunteer coordinator. I'd been a volunteer chapter officer. And it put me in a much better position to help people out. Hmm. And I just, somebody once described luck as being prepared for the opportunity when it arises. And in that case, I am the luckiest guy in the world. Well, I, I think there's luck uh, involved, but I think maybe more importantly, Bruce, it's clear to me that you have an understanding of the community uh, aspect of what motorcycle riding is about, and I and to hear you talk about it makes you sound to me like the perfect person to be a regional manager in Hog because the way you talk about riding uh, emphasizes the the relationship building and the community that are riders, and I think that's your unique gift and probably what uh, Arnie saw in you as much as anything. Because to hear you talk about it, that's really clear to me. Well, well, thanks. I appreciate that. And I am passionate about it. I mean, it's it's kind of a confluence, if you will, of all the things that, that, that came together uh, in my life. The passion for riding from that first crazy day when all I wanted to do was not crash. Uh, back, back on that nondescript motorcycle, that's probably in a junkyard, um, to, to what I'm doing now. And it's kind of funny. If you, if you want to go back to the, the zen of it, uh, one of the interesting things is, is an exclamation point, if you will, on that story is after I got to the top of that bridge and that stall, um, the bike never ran again. So no matter what they did, even riding it down the hill and popping the clutch and the rest of us trying to push other guys on the bike, it never ran again. And in retrospect, I'm thinking maybe that was the universe trying to tell me something. It was divine. <laughs> it was a divine experience. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh, you know, and it's been it's been more than a pleasure, really. It's been a privilege uh, to work for Harley Davidson, to, to be a member of Hog, and and having uh, worked all these years with so many people, uh, and and have the opportunity to, you know, get them focused and to do something they love. I think one of the things that really attracted me to Hog, other than obviously the riding and the camaraderie, was the chance to be part of something bigger than myself, which is really the basis for all volunteer work. Um, and to be able to be on the other end of that and to help other people along with that and, and do things that's going to have a positive impact on their life, I, I can't imagine doing anything better. Bruce, um, we, we are quickly running out of time, but one of the questions I had for you, where is Hog going in 2020? So what, what are your, can you disclose that to our listeners or is this uh, still, still uh, secret information until we get into the riding season? <laughs> 
Well, it's, it's not it's not as secret as my past life uh, building nuclear powered submarines for the Navy because uh, you know back when that old joke I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. That, it was actually a little bit of credence to that, but <laughs> this is not quite the same. Uh, yeah, I mean in general. I can say that we're going to be having some rallies next year, both uh, regional or stationary-type rallies and uh, touring rallies. We're, we're pushing a little bit more with that. We've had a, a really good partnership over the last few years. It's blossomed with Eagle Rider for the touring rallies. It's really helped us all the way around, and it's, it's been a, a really synergistic relationship with them. Uh, but we're also looking at what can we do with HOG members and HOG chapters and there, it's just, I can talk about it now because it's just come out for uh, the life members always get their, their hog uh, materials at the beginning of the year. And we've got two new programs uh, coming out for 2020. One is called, if I get it right, the 50 Epic Rides. And we uh, sat down, the regional team, the other regional managers and I, and really we're covering the country. We we're looking for what would be a, a great ride, a cool ride in each state in the U.S. Now, some of them we probably got it 100% right. Some of them you could argue, hey, why did you go there? You could have gone here. But we took a stab at it. We put together 50 epic rides, and that's a lifetime achievement. So for anyone in Hog who's looking for an opportunity to either ride locally or maybe an excuse to, to go out and ride somewhere else in the country, either by themselves or hopefully with some of your chapter members, you can start ticking off these, these epic rides and get recognition for doing that. That's cool. That's one, very cool. The other one is um, what we're calling this year 10 for 20, and it's 10 cool rides for 2020. And we've got um, in different parts of the country. We've got something, I believe it's out in Oregon. I don't have the information with me right now. Uh, there's a ride out there. But I wanted to, and no offense to anybody outside the region, I wanted to make sure we were well represented up in the Northeast. So uh, one of the cool rides, for example, is the Beaver Tail Light outside of Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, we're also looking at Avery Point, Connecticut, and the Portland Lighthouse, Lighthouse excuse me, up in Portland, Maine. Uh, and these are things that we're, we're looking for people to do. If they can get all 10 of them uh, in next year, in, in 2020, they'll get a, a special hog recognition for that. And down the road, we'll have 10 different ones for 2021 and so on. So, yeah, I mean, hogs about riding, and it's about the opportunity to get out on the bike, find a great destination. Hopefully you're going to find something even cooler along the way than, than what we point out. But it's also the camaraderie of maybe the two or three of us get together and do it, or maybe we do a chapter ride. Because it's always more fun when you have more friends with you. Well, Bruce, you are full of life, uh, truly an inspiration, I know, to me, uh, to many other hog members out there. Uh, I appreciate your time sincerely. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. You're you're at you're in you're at Juno in Milwaukee, right? You work in the in the brick building that we all uh, bow our heads to when we when we see a picture, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about it, the cathedral status, but uh, yeah, we're at the corporate headquarters at Juno, and uh, uh, when we're done uh, with you guys, or I'm done with you guys, excuse me, uh, I'll be heading back to my desk and jamming on a little bit more uh, finalizing the training programs, uh, regional officer connection. For training programs, uh, finalizing uh, some edits for the chapter handbook and the chapter charter. We're going to get those back up online and updated. And, uh, yeah, we just keep cranking out the work. Well, keep up the great work, Bruce, sincerely. We do appreciate it uh, and, and uh, looking forward to some of these, uh, certainly the 50 epic rides when that comes out and the 10 for 20. That's That'll be fun for a lot of people. Appreciate your time sincerely uh, and uh, would love to reconnect down the road uh, after we get some of the riding season behind us and go, go over some more stuff that 
I know uh, I know we we had questions about. Oh, I'd love to do that. I, I got to tell you, I really appreciate the opportunity, John and Mark. I mean, I've had the uh, the chance to listen to your podcast right from the start, and you guys have had some real interesting people, some real heavy hitters, and I'm just tickled to be included in that list. Well, thank you, Bruce. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate it. All right, guys. I'll see you down the road. Absolutely. Bye, Bruce. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.